morning and welcome to Gateway. We're glad that you've chosen to join with us this morning and uh, we're glad to have you part of what we're doing here at Gateway Tays Valley. If you've been out the last couple of weeks, if you missed the last couple of weeks, then you uh, are here and you're joining us now in the middle of our Themes of Revelation series. Now, the word revelation means to uncover or to reveal. And one of the blessings that we're uncovering or one of the things we're seeing as we read through this book and go through this series is that we will see Jesus more clearly. We will, he will be revealed more clearly to us. Now, last week, with all the descriptions that John used in chapters 1 and 19, and from the descriptions that Jesus uses for himself in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation, at the beginning of each of the seven letters, we see him more clearly. We see him in all of his majesty and all of his glory. One of the great things of this series is that we have been focusing on the book of Revelation as a book of encouragement. For all the, all the imagery, for all the language that is used, it boils down to a book of encouragement. First century be Christians, believers, they were suffering under intense persecution under, from the oppression of the Roman government. They had been suffering in this for 60 years at the time that the book was written, and it would continue for 220 more years after that. And one of the great stories that we find with this, this great story of Christian courage was from the life and death of a second century Christian leader named Polycarp. Polycarp was born in AD 69 in the city of Smyrna, and the old apostle John was one of his teachers and mentors. John perhaps was thinking of a young Polycarp when he wrote in his third letter, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. But walking in the truth became very costly to these early believers. Remember what Jesus said to the church at Smyrna, Smyrna in Revelation 2.10. He says, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Now, Polycarp, like his mentor John, he lived to be an old man before the Romans finally caught up to him, arrested him, and burned him alive at the stake on February 23rd. 155. The Roman proconsul, he was a, a little compassionate and he had reservations about executing Polycarp in such a public way. He tried to make it easy for Polycarp to save his life. He didn't want to do this. He wanted to save him from this. And before his execution, he told Polycarp, look, just curse Christ and I will release you. Polycarp replied, 86 years I have served him and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king who saved me? And the proconsul, he says, well, then just throw some incense on, on the altar of Caesar. And Polycarp said, if you imagine for a moment that I would do that, then I think you pretend you don't know who I am. Hear it plainly. I am a Christian. The proconsul threatened to release the wild beast to consume him, to which Polycarp said, bring them on. I, I would change my mind if it meant going from the worst to the better, but not to change the, from the right to the wrong. And finally, the proconsul's patience is out. He's, he's reached the end of the line. He said, then I will burn you alive. And Polycarp says, you threaten fire that burns for an hour and is gone, but the eternal fire of judgment on the wicked is forever. And right before he died, the old Christian said, I bless you, Father, for judging me worthy of this hour, so that in the company of the martyrs I may share the cup of Christ. 
What a tremendous showing of courage and faith this is from Polycarp. And he wasn't alone in this. There were many others during this time, and you can imagine that they were able to be bold and courageous with their faith because of the encouragement they received from John's writings in the book of Revelation. This is a book of encouragement for the contemporary Christians back then, but also for us today. And last week we covered some of the the letters to the churches found in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation, which included scathing condemnations of a lukewarm faith, of loving convenience and comfort over a commitment to Christ, and of compromise with the culture rather than living by God's standards. Today we are going to see the solution for all of these issues as we look at chapters 4 and 5. And so have your Bible with you this morning. Will you turn to Revelation chapter 4 and go through it with me here in just a little bit? So this is, this is a pretty big promise, right? There's, there's a lot of issues that were facing the churches back then, but also facing us today, things that we might be able to relate with in our own lives today. And so what, what is this solution that, that we're going to find in chapters 4 and 5? Well, the solution for the churches in Revelation 2 and 3 is the same solution for our issues today. And that solution is biblical worship. The solution for all these things is biblical worship. Now, what do we mean by that? What is biblical worship? Well, Tim Keller says that biblical worship is seeing what God is worth and giving him what he's worth. Seeing what God is worth and giving him what he's worth. That's biblical worship. That's right worship. We see what God is worth and we give him what he's worth. We set our eyes on his true value. We are reminded of what he's worth, and then we give that to him. And when we are reminded of the worth of Christ, it should change our lives. When we recapture his worth, we can stay lukewarm no longer. When we give him his worth, it renews our commitment to him. We are reminded that he is worthy of our best, not our least, not just enough to get by, but our best. And when we are reminded of his worth, we are reassured of his power, and it encourages us, it strengthens our grip, and it helps us to hold on, even in the moments that it's the hardest. Unfortunately, what happens to so many of us is that we end up living a life where we completely undervalue the true worth of Christ, the worth of our God. And so we walk around building up with this fear and anxiety, and we really don't try anything too risky because we've lost sight of just how powerful God is. There was a news story several years ago about a 19-year-old man named Dakota Guerin, and Dakota was charged with stealing a rare coin collection from a woman that he had been doing some work for. This coin collection was valued at over over $100,000. He had been doing work for this woman in Portland, and not long after he finished the work, she reported this rare coin collection as stolen. Now, she wasn't sure who had stolen it because she had had a renovation happening. Many people had been in and out of her house. All she knew is that it was missing and that it was very valuable. And so how did Dakota get caught? If she didn't know who it was, how was it that Dakota Guerin was caught for this crime? Well, he was caught because he started spending these coins at face value. He didn't realize what he had. He saw these coins laying out. He saw this collection, and he stole them to use them at their face 
value. And so he goes out and he starts spending them in everyday life. He, he takes his girlfriend out on a date and they go to a, see a movie. And part of the money that he uses to pay for the movie is a quarter worth over $100. And then later he takes her, takes her out for pizza. And, and part of the cash that he uses to pay for the pizza included another quarter worth over $18,000. Quite the tip, right? And he gets caught because he's spending the money at face value, and he ends up getting charged with first-degree theft. And the newspaper article reported it this way. It said, Garen has been charged with first-degree theft and is being held in jail on $40,000 bond, or about 75 cents, depending on how you look at it. But isn't that what we end up doing with God? We have this undervalued worth of God and it impacts so much of who we are and what we do. When we undervalue God and we struggle with the challenges of life, we end up getting dominated by fear and anxiety. When we undervalue God, we treat prayer like we're doing him a favor. This is just what God tells me to do, so I do it. That's, there's no other reason. I'm just taking God at his face value, so I'm just going to pray because I'm told to. A.W. Tozer said, a low view of God is the cause of a hundred lesser evils. A high view of God is a solution to 10,000 problems. And that's why we say that biblical worship is the solution to 10,000 problems. Some of you might have experienced this reality in your own life. You feel so overwhelmed and, and you've gone through all kinds of, of fix-it steps trying to put the pieces back together in your life. You become depressed or discouraged as you look at the road before you and things just don't seem to be getting any better. They're out of your control. Your life is spinning out of control and you don't know what to do. And anxiety, it starts to creep in on you on all sides. And the reason we get that way is because our focus is on us and what we can do. And the simple truth is that there are just some things you can't do on your own. You can't fix it. There's no way. There's no, you're, you can't be strong enough. You can't be smart enough. You can't be big enough. You, know, you can't be successful enough. You cannot fix everything. You may be strong as an ox. You may have an IQ of a genius. You might be the rock upon which everybody else puts their foundation on, and you might be able to work out a lot of things. But there are just some things that you do not have the capacity to fix yourself. There are simply some things that are out of our control. And man, doesn't that drive us nuts? I mean, if you're a control freak, right, if you like to be in control and you really struggle, this is where you struggle the most in your relationship with God, with the things that you cannot control. And you are grasping at whatever you can, trying to work your way up the mountain, and you just can't do it on your own. Now, I was thinking about the words of the Apostle Paul the other day in Philippians 4 where he writes, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these God wants us to give all of our burdens and all of our anxieties that we let build up within us over to him so instead we can focus on greater things, focus on higher things, things that bring peace, not stress and anxiety. 
And I don't know about you, but there are times that I read scripture and I think, man, God loves us so much. And he loves, because he loves us so much, he's trying to help us deal with life. Like he knows the answer. He knows the future. He knows what we're about to face. He knows what we're going to go through. And, And so he puts it like right there in the scripture. And you have probably, if you grew up in the church, if you've been around the church for a while, you've probably heard that verse a lot, right? That's one, and I feel like that's one of the most popular voices. We've read it over and over. Do not worry and be anxious about this stuff. Give it over to him. Let me, he's saying, let me take care of the stuff because you can't control most of it anyway. It's out of your control. Instead of focusing on the stuff that's bringing you down and keeping you down here and making it worse, I'm going to tell you to focus on stuff that brings life and gives you peace that transcends all understanding. Peace in the face of the things that everybody else is worried about. See, it's all right there. It's all right there in God's word, and yet we don't take him up on it. We ignore his wisdom, and we stress ourselves to the max, even though worrying won't change a thing. Remember, Jesus said, worrying cannot add a day to your life. And so a high view of God is the solution to 10,000 problems, while the low view of God keeps us in our circumstances. Biblical worship is so often the solution to the things that are holding us back in our faith. And it's in that vein, it's in that mindset that we want to go to Revelation chapter 4 today. Because what does biblical worship look like? What did it look like in the book of Revelation? Well, we're going to work our way through it this morning, starting with chapter 4 and verse 1, where the Apostle John writes, After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. Now in this next section of Scripture, I want you to notice how all of the attention shifts now to the throne. The word throne is used 14 times in this chapter alone, 14 and 46 times in the whole book of Revelation. Everything centers around the throne and the one who is on it, both in the book of Revelation, and that's how it should be for us. Focus on the throne and the one who is on it. John continues in verse 2. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were seven burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was at it were a sea, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like, a, like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Now, when you've tried to study the book of Revelation in the past, maybe this is about as far as you got. Because it starts getting a little weird here, right? Like, there's there's six wings, there's eyes everywhere, right? And you're like, I'm out. This is just... 
Like somebody can make, just give me the cliff notes maybe. Like cuz you're like I can't I can't keep on with this. This is getting too weird for me. Uh, you know, before uh on our Wednesday night small group, one of our elders, Chris, he said, "Oh, this week is where it starts to get interesting, right? This is where it starts to get a little off." And, and so you might have a lot of questions, but here's what a lot of this boils down to, right? It's all biblical worship. If you're not going to pay attention to the, the who's and the what's and all that, at least pay attention to what they're doing and the importance behind it. And so before we finish out the chapter, I, I do want to briefly answer some questions that you might have about it as you read through it or perhaps in the past. And the first is, who was on the throne? Well, this is God the Father. The brilliant colors and sounds represent the power, the authority, and the glory of God Almighty. And this is the bedrock of Christian theology, that there is a throne in heaven, and God is sitting firmly upon it. Second question is, who are the 24 elders? Well, these most likely symbolize the people of God from the Old and New Testaments, the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles, the entire redeemed church. Notice that they are wearing crowns, but in the Greek language, the word for their crown is Stephanos, which refers to a crown made from woven vines. And so it's a lesser crown, like the winner of a race would receive, not a diadem or a king's crown. Next question is, who are the four living creatures? Well, remember we said a, a couple weeks ago that the number four most often, often symbolizes the things of the earth. And this is what we have here, all the creatures of the earth. The lion to represent the wild animal kingdom. The ox or the calf to represent the domesticated animal kingdom. Man to represent humanity and an eagle to represent all the flying creatures. And the last question is, well, what are they doing here? What, what are they doing in the scene? Well, they're doing biblical worship. Psalm 96, 9 says, worship the Lord and the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. And that's what's happening here. Day and night without stopping, they are worshiping the one on the throne, God Almighty. They are throwing down their earthly crowns and giving God the Father all of the glory. And then John continues in verse 9. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And so everything in this chapter now, in chapter 4, has been setting up for what's to come next, for this next scene coming up in chapter 5 of Revelation, in which the main character of the book will enter, and from which we get the title of our message this morning, which is The Lamb. The lamb is on his way. John writes in chapter 5, starting in verse 1, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within, and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one, and no one in heaven or on, or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. John, he sees this scroll there, and we're not really sure whether it's the Bible or a prophecy of what's to come in chapter 6, but he knows that it's of the utmost importance. 
John knows that inside this scroll is the trusted word of God that the church and that the world so desperately needs. It's right in there. If, if only somebody could open it, we would know what we need. We, we would know what we need to know. This is the answer. But no one is worthy to open it. Not the 24 elders, not the four living creatures, no angels. No one is worthy. And he begins to weep because he knows that what is inside the scroll is what he needs, he, what the world needs. I mean, imagine knowing that there's something, that the answer, that the, that the antidote, what, whatever, what exactly what you need is locked inside of a box or locked somewhere you can't go, and, the, and there's no one that can open the box. I mean, it's right there, but there's no way to get inside. There's no way to see what it says. I mean, I think we would all be weeping in this. Hey, come on, it's right there. This is what we need. I think that John's weeping, it symbolizes a world without hope, a world without a Savior, because there's nobody worthy to let us see inside. And he continues on in verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Jesus is here the Lion of Judah. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. In these verses, we have two di different depictions of Jesus. In verse 5, he is the lion. He is the strong lion of Judah here to conquer. And in verse 6, he is the lamb, the sacrificial lamb slain for each one of us. He is the sovereign lion who rules the world, and he is the sacrificial lamb who saves the world from sin. You know, back in the book of John, when John the baptizer looked up and saw Jesus walking by, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. As much as we want, to, we want strength, it's the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world. This title, Lamb, is the most popular title for Jesus throughout the rest of the book of Revelation, used a total of 31 times. And now, as we, enter, as we end the service, as we end this message, I, I want us to, to do something a little bit different today. I'm going to ask that we all stand and, and read the rest of the chapter together as a responsive reading. So if you'll stand together. The whole thing of this is a, a, a biblical worship. And a lot of times when we think of worship, we think of singing songs, and that's part of it, right? But worship should be giving God what he's due, having the high view of God, not get, taking God at face value, but knowing what he is worth and giving it to him. And so I kind of want to get in on this kind of like a massive worship scene ourselves, just like the scene that we see, the worship of the Lamb who is worthy of it all. And so I'm going to read the parts that say leader, and, and together we can read where it says church. It says, And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God 
from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne of the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. And all God's people said, Amen. Maybe you're here this morning. And like the churches that we've covered in the book of Revelation, you find yourself a little bit lukewarm in your faith. You're not sure quite what to do to recapture the love of Jesus. Maybe you're here and you know that your commitment to him has been compromised. Maybe you're just really having a hard time keeping your grip and you feel like quitting. It's hard to wake up every morning and go through it again because you just feel like giving up. Life has just been so hard lately. It's just one thing after another. It doesn't seem like it's stopping anytime soon. If any of that is you, what do you do? What do you do when you feel like you just can't catch a break? What do you do when you feel like your faith is dead? What do you do when you feel like your commitment is gone? Well, in the hard times of life, rather than allowing yourself to become overwhelmed while thinking about all that's stacked up against you and all that's to come and all that you just can't escape from, it's time to focus on the Father, the one who sits on the throne. Whatever you're facing, biblical worship is the answer. Whatever you're facing, there is nothing that biblical worship is not the answer for. Because when God is on his throne, it changes everything. When we remember that, when we focus on this high value of God, what he's truly worth, when we remember that he's on the throne, whether it's in our life or in the world, it changes everything. Never lose sight of that. When Jesus comes on the scene, we can stop weeping because he brings hope that conquers all despair. The Lion of Judah has conquered and the sacrificial lamb has been slain to save each one of us. And in those times, I know that it can be really hard to worship. Worshiping might be, want to be the last thing that you want to do. Because in, in our view, sometimes we get caught up thinking, man, only the good times are, are when I want to turn to God. And when the bad times come, man, the darkness hides them. And so, yeah, you might not feel like worshiping in those times, but that's exactly what we need to do. We need to remember that he is on the throne and he is bigger than our circumstances. We need to worship him with thanksgiving, remembering all the things that he's done in the past to take away all of our anxiety. We need to focus on the things that are pure and true, worthy of praise, and trust that he is still on the throne and he's never leaving. He is still in control, whether it be in your life or in this world, and I pray that we never forget that. Let's pray. Father God, we come this morning, we are so in awe of you. At least I hope we are. I hope we never lose sight of your worth, of your true worth. 
And maybe we've been going for a while and we've just been trying to use you at face value and we've been lukewarm or our commitment to you has been compromised and we just have fallen away a little bit. And it's time to start seeing you as you truly are. And so, Father, I I pray that you would lift up those that are struggling right now. That you would pick them up off the ground and dust them off and say, I'm still here and I'm still in control and I'm bigger than your circumstances. I'm bigger than what you're going through right now. And it may not be happening the way that, that, that you want it to happen. It might not be on your timeline, but I'm still here and my ways are greater than your ways. And one day you're gonna see and you're gonna know that I was always in control and I always loved you. Father, I just pray in these times that life hits us the hardest, that we would not allow that to cloud our view of who you truly are. We would not allow the things of this world to get us confused about who you are and whether or not you're in control and that we would always remember that you are worthy of all of our praise, that, that, we, that you are on high, you are there on the throne, and I pray that we'd never, ever forget that. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you're here this morning and you don't have this relationship with Jesus, I I pray that that would be something that you would think about changing today. Because there are times that we think that, man, there's got to be other ways because my life is hard right now. How could there be a God that loves me? How could there be a Jesus when you're going through what I'm going through right now? We are never promised an easy life and I, and I can't explain why some people have this really awesome thing where things happen to them and others, it just seems like one thing after another. I can't explain that for you. Only God knows that sometimes. But I do know that his son Jesus came to defeat this world and all that it brings. And no matter what your circumstances are, no matter what you've done in your past, he's still there offering his hand out to you. This lion and this lamb is here for you saying, I want you to follow me Will you accept. And no matter what you're going through, the only way for there to be more than what this world has to offer is to accept Jesus as your Savior. He is the only way to eternal life with the Father. And so if you're here this morning, you've never accepted him, I, I would love to talk to you about that, what it looks like to make Jesus the Lord and the King of your life and to be baptized into the waters and come out a new creation in him, your sin washed away. If you're here this morning and you know, you've heard a lot of this about your circumstances and the things bring you down and you're like, that's me. I just can't catch a break. Our awesome God has given us this weapon of prayer that says you can come to me and you can bring me all of your anxieties and your cares and your burdens. You can lay them down at my feet because I want you to be able to focus on the things that are higher, the things that transcend all of your problems and your circumstances. And just focus on me. And so I'd love to pray with you this morning and just bring God into whatever situation you're going through right now. Just lift it up to him. I don't know what it is, but he does. And we can lift it up to him. So if you have a decision to make or just need some prayer this morning, I'll be right down front. But let's stand, we're already standing. Let's sing our final song together.